You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Yeah, so um, one of the things was um, becoming a mother. Um, I wanted to make sure that my, because the shoe wasn't open at that at, by that time. Um, mm-hmm. My first son was born in uh, 20, uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. And so by then the shoe had closed. Um, a lot of the shoe around the city had closed. And um, those opportunities to network weren't really there anymore. And opportunities for education wasn't there. There was a few, um, you know, are still standing uh, soldiers, al Kibalan and <clears throat> um, the Shrine. And, and there were some places like that. Um, but even our Quabba Center, I think, had closed at that point. And so um, what I began doing is just looking for opportunities to just volunteer, just, you know, uh, informally and sporadically, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so D-Town Farm was one of the first places I went, and that's where we did our— Let's stop. Let's stop there. Yeah. D-Town Farm. What was it about D-Town Farm that brought you there? Um, I would say without the history of knowing uh, about Malik and Mama Hanifa and mm-hmm. all of the all of the uh, soldiers that are over there, um, it was the red, black, and green logo. It was the talks <laughs> about you know self determination, sustainability, um, and I knew I wanted my son to be a, in you know I wanted him to understand no doubt that part of our resiliency. Yeah, so uh, D Town Farm, as people know. Uh, plot of land that is shared amongst many people uh, in a farm farm 4D uh, where a lot of collards, a lot of kale, a lot of, but a lot of work too. So if mm-hmm. you ever, if you ever you feel as though, yeah, yeah, if you ever <laughs> feel like, you know, rolling up, rolling up your sleeves and, and, and getting down, that's a place you can get down, but great food uh, and good synergy because it's many other people that have connected there and volunteered, too, because yes. that's one thing about D-Town Farms when I hear a lot of people say is mm-hmm. when you talk about meeting people where you're at, if you got a day to give, if you got a week to give, if you got five years to give, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's not a... a it's not something that, you know, you're going to walk over to the back and then you got to fill out 30 forms and then right. submit this and submit right. it back. It's just and show up as you are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So even that energy. So I'm, I'm sure, was it one of those things where you went one day, kind of saw it, then came back and saw it a little bit more? and then No, I've been hearing, you know, I've been hearing about it and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, D-Town, but more specifically Detroit Black um, uh, Food, Food Security, Security Network. Network. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they were also so um, <clears throat> separating a little bit more from detail and becoming more organized in terms of fighting uh, policy-wise and yeah. um, fighting just um, on a not a, on a different level per se, but just in a different arena. Yeah. And so that's how we were able to get the food co-op. Um, you know, and if you, I think you can still buy into um, yeah. the food co-op. I think they're still building it, but and there, yeah, it's it's coming together. First, rest in peace, charity. Uh, yes. My last interview with Bob Malik, he spoke a little bit about what's going to happen with that, where it becomes in the tangibleness because it it connects with with our people differently. You know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, instead of being such conceptual touching, it just changes the vibe and it energy does. with our people. It does tangible, pragmatic solutions is what we need for real. Um, so yeah, um, so volunteering out at D-Town Farm, um, Bob Malik um, allowed me to be able to do a Juneteenth event, which okay. uh, attendance was like nothing because I was not an event planner or nothing. It was just okay. something I wanted to do. Okay. And um, <clears throat> with that, I was able to um, 
just continue to volunteer for various organizations. I, I volunteer for um, We the People Detroit with um, okay. uh, Mama Monica Lewis Patrick and yeah. Miss um, Deborah Taylor. And um, it was once I hit that point, um, that's when I became involved in environmental justice because they were wow. fighting, fighting hard. Yeah. You know, um, the success that I was seeing Mama Monica uh, Lewis um, Patrick have with the youth, um, the way it resonated with me as being a new mother and having issues with water shutoffs, um, the dedication she gave, the fierceness she had, um, in the, strat- the strategic way she was able to develop her campaigns. I, I admire so much. <clears throat> and so um, I volunteered there for a minute and I don't know, somewhere in the mix I had, I had another child, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. my four-year-old now. Okay. And um, that was when I um, learned. I ended up running into uh, an old friend. We were. I would just happen to be at his house. We were talking for a minute, <clears throat> and Jackson Copel, who was the uh, founding um, executive director of Solidarity, walked in because they were going to use this space to have a meeting. Hmm. Um, so you like kicking it at your friend's crib, right? And then it's like. Who's that white guy and all these people walking? Right, in? right, right. <laughs> with, with a whole crew of black people, right? Uh-huh. Um, so we we did some brief interju- introductions, and I had heard of Jackson before, and yeah. I had heard of Solidarity before, but um, again, you know, my son was uh, born in 2012, and so the organization also started in 2012. Mm-hmm. So I was a little busy and not, you know, paying as much attention. Yeah. And even when I uh, spoke with. Um, Another old Shule, I'm not gonna say old Shule, I mean, but a Shule, uh, another Shule alumni, yes. um, or in storm, um, uh, um, alumni, Ali, um, Darul Islam, uh, mm-hmm. of Writer Cooperative Industries now, yeah, um. When I went to him and was complaining about my energy bill back when my uh, my first son was a little baby and I was a, I was a first time homeowner, um, that was one of the folks that they mentioned, and so hmm. that um, you know it was like a second time, and I was like, okay, well we met twice, so maybe there's something to that. Um, they were. Um, uh, getting ready to enter a hiring phase, and they were looking for uh, what is it, lead organizer. Okay. Yeah. So um, then, uh, as lead organizer, I got the job, and it was my first time actually being paid for organizing work, okay. and I was blown away because I was like, if I had known I could get paid for this all this time, I would have been started a career. Hilarious. You know. So um, yeah. So that was about. Uh, I want to say almost five years ago and okay. uh, just for the past six months ago um, I succeeded as being a director of uh, so executive director well, of Solidarity c- congratulations congratulations so now we can get right into your story letters right into the work so yeah. lead organizer we know what the position on paper says mm-hmm. what was the position in real life like um, I was Jackson's first employee and, mm-hmm. and only employee for a while <laughs> so I found myself doing a little of everything okay. um, but in doing a little of everything Everything it allowed me to really it allowed me to really learn um, where we had strengths, where we had gaps, where we needed more people, um, what work should be um, owned by the members, and what um, accountability should be held with us uh, one particular leader. Um, also, just networked with a lot of different folks and learned more about the language of organizing and how to translate um, real life issues into a way that can be spoken to a politician or um, an engineer or um, you know, just a myriad of different types of uh, people and professions. Um, so in doing that, I was able to do a lot of uh, workshops and trainings. Um, and then I began doing more um 
um, speaking events. I've been began to do more facilitation of workshops. Um, and just throughout that whole just growth and learning process, um, we were able to start expanding on a team. So, you know, it was the two of us, then there was three, and then four, and we're now up to uh, nine staff. Great. Now... You also we, we, we also gotta go into the elephant of the room as far as like um and the elephant in the room and I love it because it's so close. Like I remember the first time I was a kid and I went to Harlem. I was like, damn, this feel like a big ass Highland Park. <laughs> <laughs> That was my immediate response. Now, Highland Park still feels like that. Mm -hmm. Harlem, on the other hand, is a little bit different right now. It felt, yeah, I'm like, I'm like African hair braiders, uh, vendors everywhere, uh, just, you know, people walking by like, cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. this guy in gators talking to that guy (laughs) with no shoes on. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it's like, this is (laughs) like a match. Like, yeah, it just, it's like okay this could be like either the craziest skit on like in living color or this could be like the coolest thing ever but whatever it, it's a pulse to it you know what I'm it saying is. Uh, like on every level you know Highland Park is one of those unique places where like the most gangster hood person is next to, next door to you know Mama Mama Nandi and mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and they mm-hmm. like cool and they be like hey 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 we ain't about to do that today cause Mama Nandi right here hey what mm-hmm. up though mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and then next door to them is like the biggest Bible thumping uh, Jehovah's Witness. It's it's a different culture of blackness going it's on. It's so in funny Island you Park. say that because our solidarity uh, office, we have a shared office space, and mm-hmm. it is next door to Mama Nandi, literally. Yeah, and it's also on the other on the other side of us is a, is a church uh, that uh, that is uh, owning and, and allowing us to use the space. So mm-hmm. yeah, literally that. <laughs> yeah, like like straight up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like down, like you know the Highland Park preaching is a different type of preaching. So like sure. it's like that old school. Like it's not church. Like okay, I'm gonna go to church. And, you you know what I'm saying? Shout out. No no offense to uh, Triumph and everything like that. It's not going to be like the hour, hour and a half service. You go to a Highland Park church, you may be in there for like from, <laughs> <laughs> from, from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock. you like, that? <laughs> this is down south. Like, what is going on <laughs> in this service? <laughs> so, like, the, the whole feel, like, it's, it's a different vibe. So, like, mm-hmm. organizing there had to be different. Mm-hmm. What was the feel like it just just embracing that and, yeah. and getting that taste um, well, the first thing I noticed in my very first uh, membership meeting was that uh, the majority of our uh, members were church-going uh, older black women. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that changed um, a lot of the initial approach, you know, when, during mm-hmm. the inception of Solidarity. Because initially, um, and did, can I go kind of go into the story of how yeah, we started? Yeah, go, go. Um, so Highland Park back in 2011 had about 1,000 uh, residential streetlights repossessed by uh, DT. Which mm-hmm. is our monopoly utility company, mm-hmm. and um, this is the first time that um, folks had folks had even known that this could happen, um, and it was the first time um, where it had happened. And, yeah. You know, especially uh, with Highland Park sitting right in the middle of Detroit. Um, there's a lot of 
speculation on why that was the case, you know, how the streetlights were repossessed and um, who should be held accountable or who Mm should have done what. But at at the end of the day, um, the voices of the people, you know, weren't heard. They weren't included on the decision making. Mm -hmm. They weren't even notified that the streetlights were going to be repossessed. They just saw the trucks pulling up, coming out the ground. Um, And so when you try to address a problem like that, um, it's very interesting because I believe the core team of founders was looking at for more of a technological, you know, we're going to a green era, you know, um, perspective. But Highland Parkers wasn't really at that point, you know, like they were just still blown away that streetlights were repossessed in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that there is some um, accountability for leadership, political leadership there in Highland Park for the way that that went down. But I think ultimately what, what we realize is that um, the lights being taken um, just show kind of a, a disdain that there needs to be um, people who are experiencing that problem at the helm of the decision making. You know, there's kind of like this disrespect. Um, yeah. We're considered consumers, you know, and um you know, I think that that spoke to a much greater problem than just replacing the streetlights. So we attempted to do fundraising. We went to the city. Um, we put in mad proposals. A lot of them are, are on our website. Um, and they all got shot down and none of them really worked. Um, solar streetlights aren't um, cheap, but they're not the most expensive thing you could do to try to improve a city. Um, and so... You know, now fast forward 10 years later, um, we just installed 10 lights over at Avalon Village um, in Parker Village. Mm -hmm. And uh, Avalon Village is ran by Mama Shu Harris. Oh, yeah. And um, she has always been a strong supporter of Solidarity. Uh, Juan Shannon is over at Parker Village, which is right off of uh, Buena Vista. Hmm. And um, these street lights actually have uh, Wi-Fi, mesh Wi-Fi on them. Hmm. So the lights went up in uh, 2020 um, around the time COVID was kicking in and we were all going remote and everybody needed internet access and children was um, out of school and needed internet access to go to school. Um, And so that's what inspired those particular lights. And um, our goal is uh, this year to do another installation of another uh, nine to ten lights. Um, We haven't selected the location quite yet. We actually just got the funding. It's the beginning of the year. Um, So our goal is to try to work with um, you know a local-based company to install them, um, either have um, volunteers or to utilize, uh, we're also running a training program, utilize folks in the training program to help with putting the lights up. And so then there's the material need being met with the actual light. Um, there's uh, a more progressive need being met with the with inclusion of the internet. But then you also just have, you know, a lot of uh, white environmental justice like to throw around uh, words like inclusion and um, sustainability and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um to me, when we see um, black-led or BIPOC people coming together and deriving solutions on our own, it's so much more phenomenal, you know, because mm-hmm. we don't have um, maybe the technical education to be able to solve the problem. But when we galvanize together and we put everybody in the room and we don't have one leader and we all respect each other's leadership, we get tremendous things done and we get it done in really fun and creative ways. So with these lights, uh, we're part of... Um, some support with this uh, group called Reverb.org that talks mm. about um, greening concert uh, spaces. Cool. So um, not only are we getting an opportunity to reach a different demographic with music, uh, we're also able 
to show um, the power of black leadership in these spaces, especially, you know. That's deep. Uh, that's deep. And and as you were talking, this is me getting back in the whole soapbox of what I know um, through, um, through one of my friends, uh, Reverend David Bullock at the time was definitely big. Uh, Greater St. Matthew Baptist Church, uh, the pastor, as that was happening, uh, uh, one of those down home churches in Highland Park. Mm-hmm. I, I remember immediately when that was happening, but not just the street lights. Like Highland Park over the span of, I would say, like 30 years was like almost like mm-hmm. so many punches from the state. And when we think about the blackness that exists in Highland Park, so Detroit is like 80 percent black. Highland mm-hmm. Park probably is like 95 percent mm-hmm. black or something. So I think it's like 96. <laughs> yeah. You see, there we go. I, I'm just eyeballing it. And I'm just, you know, so the. The, the the level of the split with the water department and, right. and what they've dealt with with water in Highland Park, uh, what Highland Parkers have dealt with with the school system and, and not even having a active school system, what Highland Park has dealt with with one of the world's most beautiful libraries and at one point in time, one of the world's most renowned library collections. Mm-hmm. All of these things it, uh, align with historically probably for the past... 50 years having nothing but black leadership in those positions. Mm-hmm. So definitely there are some political, it, it's some political accountability, but along the lines of the political accountability, we have to keep in mind the the way that black representation and, and, and when the minute that black people end up in a political, in, in many leadership positions, mm-hmm. The, the resources end up, you know, the, the well of the resources end up ge- being run dry, mm-hmm. meaning that the budget is cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, options are cut. Uh, definitely. Uh, ha- have there been some um, mishandling and, and, and some um, what, what would I say? The uh, some 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 things done that that uh, were, were not in the best interest, whether it be to ignorance or possibly selfishness. Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. But at the root of a lot of this, it's been the fact that the state of Michigan and the federal government has chosen to take less and less and less. And, well, to take more and more and offer less and less to Highland Park uh, for any resources, mm-hmm. uh, even even when we think of the the police department and the fire department, which at one point in time was uh, uh, something outside of Highland Park, but then it comes back. And even the way that the officers, none of them lived in Highland Parks, none of them connected with Highland Park. So this disassociates their connection to what was happening in Highland Park, because it was at one point in time, maybe about, I don't know, six years ago, I felt like, okay, it's a higher probability of me being pulled over in Highland Park and really sort of even right now than any other place. Like I felt like Highland Park, you know, police were on me as a black man, like it's the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are some of the challenges that are real in a city like Highland Park when you study the trends of what exists. But through it all, like I say, the the culture and the essence, if, if you want some pure down-home blackness, it is Highland Park that you would connect with. And I think some of this also deals with the fact that that is the home of when we think of Henry Ford and, and the automobile, the, the first Model T plant, when we mm-hmm. think of what became the conveyor belt, the whole idea of assembly line running and what automation is, it is rooted right in Highland Park. And even when you look at that factory, which we know is a historic landscape, Land landmark, and I'm sure it's it's people with ideas of gentrifying and changing around Highland Park. It hasn't happened yet, but 
it's an asset that uh, purposely has been defunded. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I put that at the feet of more so than the black politicians in those positions. I put that at the feet of many of the white politicians that have oppressed us mm -hmm. for forever. No, you know what I'm saying? Since, since we all can remember. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I just wanted to give that piece on it. So as you all are putting these lights in, how have the people responded? Uh, what, what has it been like, uh, teaching, you know, some of some of our elders that mm -hmm. aren't necessarily as aware because streetlights, if, if people don't know, one of my streetlights was blown out recently, which I don't think Detroit got a lot of good streetlights, but that's my Another own story. piece. <laughs> but uh, during that that winter storm, it's like weird. It's like mm -hmm. I saw it blown out. But streetlights and lighting around homes provides a, a level of security and awareness, uh, not just for the hazards of like people possibly breaking in, but also like, you know, it's winter, you know, mm -hmm. ice, you know what I'm saying? You don't even know where ice is and you're driving down the street. And, or if someone's crossing the street. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. yeah, someone's crossing the street, possibly a pothole or something like it's a lot of security things that go along with lighting too. What, how has the community responded to seeing and learning more about the idea of solar technology being something functional and useful, mm -hmm. your term, pragmatic, in our community. Yeah, so um, I think that it's always well received um, from, from the average uh, Highland Park resident. I think that the nervousness comes when, um, as an organizer, you don't know how to you don't know how to speak both the language about the technology and the benefits that it can have in a way that translates to someone who has no interest in wanting to talk about kilowatts or mm -hmm. wanting to talk about, you know, they're asking, you know, how much money am I getting ready to save? Um, yeah. You know, um, I don't really need to know, like, um, how to measure the span of, uh, of a strobe of light coming down. What I want to know is, will my grandmother be um, walking down the street in complete darkness, you know, because it gets darker in the wintertime? Yeah. Um, you know, will my children be able to play outside? And so I think that <clears throat> one of the things you were speaking on, um, Kyrie, is um, divestment plays a really big part in why we're at this point in our story. And, um, you know, one of the questions that a, a lot of um, reporters or, or especially like uh, suburban white folks uh, who want to, who are interested in what we're doing down yeah. here. The question that they, that they always ask is, um, you know, isn't this a way to just make, you know, um, or how is crime more so? They yeah. kind of ask just straight to the point. You know, how has crime been since the lights were out? <clears throat> and um, to be to be quite honest, crime has gone up slightly, but only when crime has gone up everywhere else in the entire country. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily been the lights and it's not the people that you fear but again you pointed on some of the other things that lights provide you know and when you look at <clears throat> the way that Highland Park has been divested from and you look at the resources that should be coming um, from the state that are going to um, other communities, Ann Arbor, you know, and other um, communities that already have the wealth base to be yeah. able to do this on their own, out their own pockets. It's like, okay, I'm, maybe I'm missing something here. Yeah. And, um, and so in addition to just having people excited that the lights are going to come back, you know, through the hard work of folks that are, again, 10 years so far, um, we've been dedicated to this to this mission, but also that we are trying to afford other opportunities for um, systemic change and for yeah. policy change and yeah. to um, have folks 
have the leadership of black folks continue to be respected so that we can continue to be self-governing uh, as much as possible. And so the other thing that's unique about our lights is that uh, we push for community ownership of the lights. Wow. We don't want to ask, you know, a million dollar um um, I forgot what they call them. It's, I'm having a brain freeze. A developer to come into Highland Park and just throw up the lights because we won't own them and we'll find ourselves back in the same situation. The goal mm-hmm. is to create um, self-determining and, um, again, sustainable results. And sustainable is not just um, a green word. You know, it's a red, black, and green word. It means that like it. we are getting ready to be able to pass this down to generations. My children's and my children's children are going to remember the work that was done and they're going to be able to build on this and so um, I think that that's the bigger story that, you know, although we're working in one lane of energy democracy and clean energy and, you know, like some of the other uh, phrases you may hear, I think at the end of the day, we're still fighting for the liberation of black people um, and to provide them with the best living conditions that they can afford, I mean, that they can have. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like somewhere in there I answered your question, but I also feel like I was going. No, 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 no. Everything you gave off. was good rhythms. Everything you gave was good rhythms. Um, and, and with that, we're getting closer to a close here. Mm-hmm. But always the natural question that even I have is like, all right, so can y'all help me get some solar panels in my crib? Like yes. it, that that becomes the big question that mm-hmm. I know everybody's. It's like, can I cut the cord? You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the one thing that I think um, folks should shouldn't recognize is that <clears throat> right now uh, legally there can be no off grid systems. So even if we had all the money that we needed and we wanted to take um, this this block the, and mm-hmm. the next few over, put our money together, and we all just say, you know, rip the meters off, throw them back at DT. Yep. Say we never paid you a bill. Um, it, it's illegal um, to have a, mm-hmm. an off-grid system, on, especially on that scale. Um, however. Um, and again, just defaulting back to Rider Cooperative Industries, if you look at their website and um, you look into the work that they're doing, um, there is a way to offset the amount of your electric bill costs hmm. down to a point where the cost savings allows you to be able to... Um, have more breathing room to do other things. Okay. Um, you know, right now, uh, the average Highland Parker and Detroiters DTE bill is uh, 30% of their income, which is super high. And it's um, not as much when you go out in, um, to um, other communities farther away from yeah. here. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's basically like redlining is basically happening here mm-hmm. in Detroit and in Highland Park. Um, but then... Um, there are so many alternative ways. There's um, black um, solar product companies, meaning they actually make the panels, they actually make the lamps and, and whatnot. Um, there's uh, RCI, which is a solar installer, black and housed in Highland Park, okay. that can install solar panels. Organizations like ours create um, um, what they're called bulk, uh, bulk buy programs, where we all put our money together, and instead of you buying five panels for your house at this particular price, you buy we all buy about 35 together and get a lower price Mm -hmm. Um, you know and then you know we're offering um the opportunity to work with us through our, our upcoming solar training program called Rise Up. Okay. And um, that's, a, that's where you can learn exactly all the multi things that go into um, going solar. And I think that the first step, you know, if you are interested, is to uh, find out ways that you can reduce um, the amount of energy your house is kicking out. Okay. So before even getting solar panels, you know, sealing up your windows, um, doing weatherization, um, practicing energy efficiency, turning down your thermostat, all of this stuff that they tell you to do. 
but and then also um, buying into programs with your uh, neighbors, church members, uh, family members, um, buying your products together, your materials together, and um, using a local owned uh, company to install them. Cool. That that all sounds uh, like great tips. And we got last couple Detroiters different questions, the classic ones. Um, so here we go. And thank you. This has been wonderful. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Good information. Me. Uh, first one, mm-hmm. your very first car, year making model. When did you get it? Ooh, good question because I remember it, but I don't remember what year it was. Um, so it was a Nissan. I want to say it was like a SZ or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What I remember about this car though is that it was a manual, and I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. Oh, so you blew that cut clutch like um, a thousand times. You I think what? I did pretty good, but no, oh, I blew the. I, blew, uh, I was I gonna blew say. The I was gonna say if you my didn't dad, drive. <laughs> my dad brought me the car from North Carolina. And um, he was like, you know, baby girl, you need to have transportation, but you have to learn how to drive the car. So we spent a few hours in a parking lot Mm -hmm. somewhere out near Canton, I think. He was just up there And yeah, yeah, he he fussed at me more that day. Nothing he's ever fussed at me in my life. I think he got out the car a couple times and was like, just F it, just do it yourself. Um, But, you know, by the end of the day, right when the sun was going down, I was able to put down uh, 96 and get back to Detroit because I I wanted that car. Okay. So yeah, hey, learning to drive stick is is it's an advantage. You probably never hit the brake. But once you learn how to drive one, you <laughs> driving automatics is so boring. I love manuals now. <laughs> it was horrible learning, but yeah, I love right. them now. That's also a way that you get avoid somebody stealing your car. They're gonna be like, for what sure, <laughs> for sure, especially here. Especially what here is this? <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. All right. So, uh, where was the first place you went? I guess you drove back home. But where was the first <laughs> place you went when you got your ride? Then when you went to a place. Um. Yeah. So the first place I went went was home and let the uh, my nervousness, uh, <laughs> my nerves calm down, the shakiness stop. Um. That's a good question. It was so long ago. I'm kind of telling my age a little bit, but. Let me see. Where did I go? More than likely, um, oh, I know. I went to Target. Okay. I went to Target because I went to buy um, Aaliyah's new album. Ah. Uh, got Rock the Boat on there. Ah, I probably figured that. Yeah. That was the Rest in Peace album, too. Man, yeah. she, like, passed not long after that. Yeah. Uh, so then you're the DJ. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the Detroit Fireworks. Woodward Jefferson, you get to play three songs. What songs would it be? Oh man, dang, these are great questions. Why didn't I prep for any of this? Um, so let me see. Uh, my brother's a, mu- a musician um, and an uh, artist, so I probably will play one of his songs. Um, mm-hmm. Which one would it be, though? Oh, so many. Um, that would probably be his uh, song, Look Up, uh, that you can find on uh, SoundCloud. Okay. Um, I gotta come up with two more. Come on, Kari, you could have made it easier on me. Yeah, Just yeah. one would have been good. Called Kai. It, two it, more. Rest in peace. Your your brother was very talented. He played with us. Um, good energy. He was the one that was like, Marlana needs to get in the band because I'm gonna be across the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jonathan uh, Nichols. Uh, mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Kai Denlati. Yep. Yep. Um. Oh man, good good questions. I don't know. I probably would want. I would need something really upbeat. I don't know. I'm having such a brain freeze right now. Um, 
Okay, so I'm gonna just be politically correct as opposed to trying to really think about this. Okay. Um, I will probably play. So if my brother's song was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, my next song would probably be, um, and I'm not thinking the name of it, but it would be one of um, Molly Wop songs. They get okay. some super hype songs. Yeah, they do. Um, especially on their last album. And then um, my partner Cipher has. Uh, I don't know, two albums, three albums? I don't know. Okay. Um, but I would most definitely play uh, play one of his songs. All right. And last question. If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? You said if I could. Rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be, why? Hmm. That's a good one, too. Um... <clears throat> that is a really good one. To be honest, right now, I probably would say, y'all could probably tell, but Malik Yakini is one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, And I think that he's worked so long and hard, um, both as an educator, um, building a whole school, building up an organization. And um, I just think that he um, doesn't get his, his praises sung enough. So I would say I would want to name after Bob Malik. I, I love that, too. Uh, definitely one of my uh, greatest big homies and always so mm-hmm. humble. And, and boy, oh boy, my interview with him went many of places that I never do. Like, he, he he's was into everywhere. this. Yeah, I know. And it's like, and very cool, too. It's like, so you know down to earth. Yeah, so yeah. He came to speak at one of my classes at Mary Grove, and I had no idea he was a guest speaker. And so when I walked into the room and I saw him, I'm like, oh, this is about to be awesome. And he rocked that class. I mean, he keeps it real. He reminds us that you know we can be ourselves and still um meet the marks and meet some of the expectations mm-hmm. um that we think that we can't when we when we keep it real and i i, <laughs> I mean well he's cool like that but i mean cool like like i'm square and he's cool you know what i'm saying like yeah you know what i'm saying like yeah. he got a rhythm a bop you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's like oh malik <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know I, I assume you can see him from walking from miles away like that's probably bob malik <laughs> yeah facts so facts. that works thank you so much thank you so much for having me